Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back into the final hour of today's episode of Live Mike, episode number 285. I am Lee Lonsberry, your host. Right now, it's time for the top two at 2 o'clock. The top two news stories at 2 o'clock. We opened the program uh, with the first top story of the day, and it has to do with the minimum wage. Honor of Black History Month, fast food workers across the country went on a one-day strike last week demanding a $15 minimum wage. The vast majority of economists and their studies that show that by increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, it could have an impact on a number of businesses. Congressional Democrats are in a standoff over raising the federal pay for for the first time in more than a decade. As you said, we don't get to 15 till 2025. But what it means is that there's $107 billion more in people's pockets to spend in the economy. And that uh, helps everybody do better. Okay, that's the minimum wage. The debate right now is resting upon an assumption that it must be addressed at the federal level. We know that uh, one of Utah's senators has a proposal. We know that uh, Joe Biden has something that he would like. There is debate uh, amongst all in Washington right now over how the federal government ought to be handling the minimum wage. Is it time now to raise it from the 725 federally where it currently stands? Uh, Should that number be ratcheted up to $10 per hour or maybe $15 an hour? I ask a different question. And it is, should the federal government be involved in this debate at all? There is, of course, the federal minimum wage, 725. But there's also something described as the effective minimum wage. The effective minimum wage in this nation is just shy of $12. What does that mean? <clears throat> it means, excuse me, that states and even certain localities, municipalities, have taken it upon themselves to look at the business environment, the business atmosphere, the business, the business atmosphere, <clears throat> the employers, the employees, uh, the various unique needs that exist in different states and regions. And they've taken it upon themselves at the state municipal level to install minimum wages that far surpass that of the federal government. And so effectively, if you look at state to state to state to municipality, you'll find that, number one, the majority of states have their own minimum wages in place. You'll find that almost 90% of minimum wage earners are making more than the federal minimum wage and that the effective minimum wage is $11.80. All of this is evidence, in my humble opinion, okay, not so humble, in my opinion, that the federal government really ought not be the level of government where minimum wages are set. If they're going to be set at all, if we are forced to accept that, and if we are forced to uh, allow government at some level 
to weigh into the negotiations that take place between employer and employee, well, then we ought to look down. We ought to look closer to those actual employers and employees. And we ought to tailor the numbers and the rules and the laws and whatever, if we're going to tailor them, tailor them specifically to the needs of those regions. Nowhere in this United States is it the same, all right? The needs of Idaho are nowhere near the same as the needs of, say, New Hampshire or Virginia or New York. The needs of Utah are far dissimilar than the needs of California, despite how many of those Californians are coming this way these days (laughs) with their haircuts and their attitudes (laughs) and their ways of driving on our highways. I propose... That states ought to be the ones, again, if, with that caveat, if we're going to go down this road, if, that it be the states. In fact, uh, Scott Rasmussen, that's a name that's come up a number of times today. Uh, Superstar pollster. We lean on him pretty heavily. Uh, He helped us look at the uh, state budget surplus. He helped us look at when Utahns believe that we'll be returning to some semblance of normalcy after this COVID-19. And now a question asked by Scott Rasmussen of Americans coast to coast. Who would you rather see set a minimum wage? 61% of Americans want states to set the minimum wage. 61% of Americans want states to set the minimum wage. It only makes sense. To me, at least. Tell me where I'm off. 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, The texts are, are coming in. Oh, you know what? Uh, A text just now came in asking about inflation. Let me tell you something interesting about uh, the circumstances as they are currently with that effective minimum wage at $11.80. What that ultimately translates to is, again, 90% of minimum wage workers are receiving well over the $7.25 guaranteed by the federal government. Well, the growth or rather the increase in those state municipal minimum wages have grown at such a rate that it is outpacing inflation. Inflation is what, about 2%? That's how things have been historically? Well, over the past three measured years here in question here, those minimum wage workers have seen their income, have seen their minimum wage dollars increase by 2.8%, outpacing inflation. Their buying power is greater. 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. We'll leave it at that and move on now to the uh, second top story of the day. And this one revolves around this wonderful, wonderful, encouraging, and optimistic news coming from Johnson & Johnson and the FDA. It's been announced by the FDA that All of the boxes that need checking on the part of Johnson & Johnson to get their vaccine into the arms of Americans have been checked. One final step remaining. That is, a third-party group will look at that. There'll be an opportunity for public comment. And once a recommendation is delivered to the FDA, bingo boingo, we've got ourselves an approved vaccine. And the highest likelihoods is that that should come in the next 24 hours. Game that out. We've got vaccines in the arms by Johnson & Johnson within a week's time. 
All three vaccines help the body develop immunity to the virus that causes COVID-19 without having to get the illness. But there are differences. Unlike its two-dose counterparts, the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine doesn't need to be frozen for shipping or long-term storage. It's known as a viral vector vaccine. It uses a non-replicating version of a harmless common cold as a vector, a carrier to deliver instructions through genetic material that prompts your body to mount immune system defense. Thanks to Eva Pilgrim there from ABC News. Uh, (laughs) Viral vector. That's a fun phrase. Quick break. When we return, we're going to get into that question I asked just yesterday. It uh, started out as just a random thought and exploded here in the newsroom into an all-out debate and opportunity for self-reflection. Here's the question. If you were faced with a circumstance where you needed to physically carry a loved one out of your home, do you have the ability to do it? Someone passes out. There's a fire in the building. Could you carry your loved one to safety? Basic question. Important implications. We'll speak with a training captain, the Murray Fire Department, next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.